No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome back to another edition of BOA The Revival. Very excited about tonight's program. Uh, we're going to be going back to Yuba. We're going to be covering the Yuba County 5 case uh, with author Tony Wright, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of just blown away here. I, I, I'm absolutely amazed by this book. People can't see it, but I'm holding it up here for... Uh, for Tony to see, I, I I just devoured this book over the weekend before this conversation, and I absolutely love it. And it, it, it was a, it was a tour de force as as uh, as the introduction. Uh, I don't have her name right in front of you, but as the as the woman behind the uh, you know Mopac Uba Five podcast, yeah. she wrote the introduction. Um, Shannon McGarvey. She called Shannon McGarvey. There you go. As Shannon McGarvey said in the intro. This is the this is like the Yuba County Five Bible, folks. This is the most in-depth investigation of the Yuba County Five case that's been put to to paper. Uh, this is the book. This is the one that everybody who has been waiting for a Yuba County Five book uh, for all these years. Uh, this is the one. This is the Yuba County Five book, and that's with all due respect to our mutual friend Drew Beeson. He even said it when he interviewed you after the book came yeah. He said the same thing. This is the Bible. This is this is the book. So I I, yeah. I wouldn't call them fans, but for people interested <laughs> in the Yuba County Five case, you got to get this book. This is the one you've been waiting for. So with all yeah. that said, Tony's only got an hour or so here with us tonight, so we're gonna we're gonna try and squeeze as much out of him up as we can. Um, so I'm going to stop yapping and welcome him to the show. Uh, so Tony Wright, thank you so much for being on Been All of America, uh, and and thank you so much for writing this book, man. As I said last hey. night in my message, tip of the cap, sir. This is a tour de force. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know, hearing from Shannon and Drew saying that things aren't right, the disappearance of the Yuba County Five is going to be the Yuba County Five Bible. That's awesome hearing that from them, because for four years those are probably the top two people I leaned on outside of the families and investigators to talk about the case and get leads on people to interview and, uh, you know, look for articles and just uh, unearth anything we possibly can on this case and just get it out there to the people. And, um, you know, this book is the deep dive. So if you're ready to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get into, um, a case that's been described as bizarre as hell, you're, you're in for a treat because this book, I mean, I wanted it as thorough as possible, just get everything in there. So people who want to know more about the case, they've got everything in their book or on their Kindle or what, however you want to do it. So I'm I'm happy to deliver. It's fantastic. Now, as is sort of tradition on the show here, when we start out the bio, the background, who is Tony Wright? And what led you to uh, writing the book, Things Aren't Right, The Disappearance of the Yuba County Five? What led to uh, the book? So I'm an archivist, so I work in an archive and records management facility. 
and sometimes I'm just entering data and scanning historical photographs and doing stuff like that. And I just put on some true crime, you know, videos from YouTube and it was around 2018 when I started getting into a lot of these creator uh, videos from YouTube, like criminally listed bedtime stories, uh, Nexpo. So I'm, you know, I'm watching them and criminally listed has their hundredth episode and it's, a show where they have a topic every week, like murders with strange written clues left behind or crimes that unsolved murders in Texas or something like that. But their 100th episode was the viewer's choice. And the only one I remember was a case called Gary Mathias and the boys. And as soon as I heard that case, I'm like, wow, what is this? This is like really fascinating. It's really, it's strange. It's creepy. It's really heartbreaking. Have I heard this story before? No, I haven't because I'm 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 like, you know, student of the old school, like unsolved mysteries and uh, the show that uh, Leonard Nimoy used to host back in in the day of in search of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And remember all those time life books about the weird. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Bermuda Triangle, Amelia, D.B. Cooper, the uh, the classics. Yeah. So I'm, I'm totally into that kind of stuff. And this case really caught my attention. So I said, hey, you know what? I'm I'm just going to read a book. Maybe if it's at the library, maybe it's at Amazon. There's nothing out there. So yeah, yeah. I, I did some comic book writing uh, between 2014 and probably till last year. So I was with a company and they were putting out some books like horror novels. And I just asked the guy in charge of the novels. I said, would you do a true crime book? Is that cool? And he goes, yeah, you know, we, what's the case? Tell me more about it. And this guy just listened to my spiel about what would be the Yuba County five case. And he said, no one's written a book about this before. And I said, no, not to my knowledge. He said, go for it. I mean, the case is over so many years old. It's, he says, is it older than 30 years? Cause you're going to have like a little bit of a historical edge to it. And there's going to be interest. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's really blown up on the internet because between 2018 and 2019, all podcasts and, yeah, yeah, YouTube creator. Yeah, yeah it it came out of like it seriously came out of nowhere, and so I can't get away from this story. So I just sat down and said, I'm just going to write the book on it. Yeah, and I thought, man, you know, it's 2019. I'm finishing up on a comic book I'm writing, and uh, 2020 seems like the year for me just to get out there and do <laughs> things. And the guy I was talking to uh, for the book, his name's David Hayes. And uh, we traveled to Chicago together for C2E2, which is like one of the biggest comic book conventions. And we're driving there and we're talking about what we're doing. I'm like, I am going to work on that book. And uh, that whole year went crazy. But I was able to work from home and make a lot of contacts, do a lot of interviews with people. And I just started looking for people involved in the case, newspaper articles. And then a year later, I flew out to California for my first trip to investigate the case so i did all the research at the yuba county sheriff's department they took me up to the plumas national forest um started building relationships with families and it was around that time um i was introduced to drew because one of the family members said someone else is writing the book and i'm like all right you know what you can have two yuba county five books yeah and they introduced me to shana mcgarvey because when i first started researching the case and talking to people there was talk of a documentary and the documentary became the podcast, which is now the Mopac audio Yuba podcast. 
So I met Shannon McGarvey through the podcast, Dirk, or not Dirk, uh, well, I drew Beeson through his uh, book and met some other people who were researching the case. And as time goes on, uh, you know, some other people reached out to me uh, because they knew what I did on the podcast and yeah, yeah. Uh, guys like Anthony Dunn, who lives in England, who's been doing a lot of work on the case. Um, uh, Eduardo Coya uh, in Argentina, he's trying to do a book on the case in Spanish. Um, so uh, people are reaching out to me and finally got the book out. And uh, while I was getting the book together, I just got in touch with Genius Book Publishing and they're based out of Milwaukee. They do true crime books and they love stories that are not, you know, wrapped up in a perfect little bow. It's not going to be an episode of Dateline where you start with the murder and then you end with like a, a acquittal or a conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Genius is like, Hey, you got a book like that. We want it. And I, I mean, this they is, were well, yeah, yeah. they're, they're willing to work with me. I'm willing to work with them. Let's get the book out there. And, you know, we're able to get it on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, um, definitely through the site itself, Genius Book Publishing. Uh, we're actually getting into libraries and things like nice. that. So, yeah. So we're getting the book out to the masses and so far so good. It's been um, very positive as far as what people had to say, uh, yourself included. Um, really appreciate the feedback. And I know a lot of people out there are big into the Yuba County 5 case. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a... I've been privileged to kind of become friends with Drew uh, over the last year or so, and it, and he's kind of brought shepherded me in a little bit here to the community. It's a very it's a welcoming but tight knit community of folks who are, yeah. who are kind of looking at this uh, on a real serious basis. Um, well, I mean, t- I'm trying to grappling with how best to handle this because we already I'm really familiar with the case. You're obviously really, really I, yeah. I presume that all of America listeners are familiar with the case. Sure. Um. Can you do, do you want to do like a five minute, like thumbnail or whatever of, of sort of what's your elevator pitch kind of thing on, on the case rather than us go yeah. chronologically through the events. Cause uh, sure. you know, I want to make the most of my time here with you and I got some real uh, nuggets of stuff that in the book that I want to get it. You know? So yeah. we don't want, we don't want to, yeah. you know, and if folks want more of the in-depth on the story, go listen to the true one tonight. That's yeah. like 101. Tonight is the 102 episode. Tonight we're going to yeah. get real <laughs> advanced shit. So heck yeah. Uh, so so go ahead and give us like the five minute elevator pitch, the story of the Yuba County Five for the folks who just picked up this episode and are sure to bring them up to speed. Yeah, the five men are uh, Ted Weir, Jack Madruga, Bill Sterling, Jackie Hewitt, and Gary Mathias. So all five of those guys lived in the Yuba County area of Northern California. So they're basically in Marysville, California and the surrounding communities. That's North of Sacramento. And on the night of February 24th, 1978, all five of those guys jumped into a 1969 Mercury Montego and they drove from Marysville to North to Chico, California. They went to Chico State University to watch a basketball game. Their favorite team UC Davis had an away game that night at Chico State, and it's towards the end of the regular season for college basketball, and as big UC Davis fans, UC Davis was probably going to win the division, probably go on to the playoffs afterwards. They were a Division II team, so they didn't really have the March Madness thing, but they're cheering their favorite team on, 
But what's more important, the next day, all five of those guys were going to play in the Special Olympics basketball tournament near Sacramento. So four of the men had intellectual disabilities. Gary Mathias was schizophrenic. So they go to the game. They watch their team win. Afterwards, they go to a convenience store in Chico to get, like, pop and candy bars and milk, some chips, you know, usual late-night sort of victory snack. And then after that, they completely vanish off the face of the earth. Their parents are worried sick. They're up all night. Uh, the next day, they can't find them anywhere. And four days later, the car they were driving in is found 75 miles in the wrong direction from home in the Plumas National Forest on a snow-covered, deserted road that's like 4,500 feet in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. So this is the wrong location. These guys should not be where they were. That car shouldn't have been there. Jack Madruga was the driver of the Montego. He was a very reliable, very trustworthy driver. And th this is just baffling to everyone. So the Yuba County Sheriff's Office, where four of the five guys lived, worked with the Butte County Sheriff's Department, where the car was abandoned. And that's also Chico, California, where the game was, started working together with another department, which was Yuba County, which or I'm sorry, uh, Sutter County, which is home of Yuba City, because that's where Bill Sterling lived. And they started an investigation like searching the forest, getting information from family and friends, like where are these guys? Why were they up there? And no one could figure it out. Like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, all five of them were part of a community organization called the Gateway Projects. It was the team that they played for in the Special Olympics. And Gateway would do things like have educational classes for people with, you know, disabilities or mental illness, uh, sort of have, being like life coaches so people can live independently, you know, have some more independence in life. And then also they gave people jobs. So they would either like build sort of like steps for like mobile homes or they would do work with PG&E, which is Pacific Gas and Electric, which is a huge utility out in California. So they would either wind cable or just do sort of sort of like menial tasks. Uh, nothing, nothing huge, but, um, they would do these jobs and that's what the guys did. And so to disappear before a basketball game of great importance to them, because if they won that game in, uh, near Sacramento, a few months later, they would go down to UCLA and be in the big statewide special Olympics tournament and they get right, to go to right. Disneyland. So it, it was a big event. So these guys disappear February 24th, 1978. The car is found February 28th, 1978. By June, early June, around the 4th or 6th of 1978, Ted Weir's found about 12 miles away from the car in a Forest Service trailer. Someone had broken into the trailer. Um, Ted was found under like eight sheets. He had lost 80 to 100 pounds. There were some sea ration cans in there. Someone had gotten into him. Someone was eating. The shoes of Gary Mathias were in the trailer, but he was nowhere to be found. And after they find Ted Weir, they find Jack, Jack Madruga's remains, Bill Sterling's remains, Jackie Hewitt's remains, and Gary Mathias has never been found. So over the, the month of June, 
for the five are found. And now there's more questions because they're found 12 miles northeast of the car. If you follow sort of these mountainous roads that sort of wind through the plumas, and if you cross the land, it's five miles. But if you cross the land, it's super treacherous. I mean, it's it's really rough terrain. Right. And, it, I mean, it goes from like 5,000 to 4,000 to 3,000 feet. It's rugged. It was snowy up there. Um, you're just not getting through that. And also, yeah. what's amazing is when these five guys left uh, Marysville, California, it's probably mid-high 60s. The low that night's probably going to be like 45, 50 degrees. When they get to the Plumas, there's a ton of snow and it's below freezing. So they're wearing like tennis shoes and jeans right, right. and yeah, slacks yeah. and, you know, light coats. They weren't going up there for any reason. So yeah. them being up there, their deaths, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of questions. questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I call, yeah. I call it a journey into madness. And people will say, well, they had disabilities and, you know, one guy had mental illness and he's responsible for it. But everything leading up to this doesn't add up because Gary, who did have schizophrenia, did have his life on track. He was on a regimen of medication. He'd been doing well. You know, his stepfather and his mom kind of took him under their wing to get him, you know, taken care of. And the other guys... You know, they could travel to Sacramento. They did it the day before on Thursday yeah, the 23rd yeah. for a basketball practice. They had no history of ever getting lost. And yeah. the families knew that these guys were super responsible. They'd call and say, hey, we're running late, or hey, we stopped somewhere to get something to eat. We'll see you at this time. Right. And if you take that trip to go up to the Plumas to go to the spot where they abandoned their car, it's way different than driving uh, from exactly. Marysville to Chico, it's pretty flat that area, and now you're up in the mountains. Something's not right, right. and that's right, and, right. and and that's yeah. why the titles things aren't right because this whole trip, the the investigation, uh, just a lot of strange things that were going on at the time. A lot of this isn't adding up, and things are just really off. Yeah, yeah. The digger, the more you dig into it, the more unanswered questions there are it's like a, a series yeah. of really unfathomable twists yeah uh, absolutely that you're, that you're like wait a minute what now what and <laughs> yeah. so it's really i think that's what really captures people's imagination and and like you say the the occam's razor a lot of people use they dismiss these guys because they had intellectual disabilities when anyone who's taken five minutes to look at this case understands that these guys were fairly functioning fully functioning adults i mean they had jobs they had love interests yeah. They all graduated from high school or, or got their degrees from high school. Some went to college, some were in the army. Yeah. It's like this idea that they were incompetent and unable to drive to Sacramento and back or drive to the basketball game and back is, is ridiculous. And right. the idea that they got lost, folks, the, the difference between getting lost and getting stranded in the middle of nowhere. Right. <laughs> like I, True. I, I've gotten lost before. Everyone's gotten lost. But yeah. you don't just – wind up in the there's a reason why you wind up in the middle of nowhere and then mm -hmm. and then get out of the car and then go further off into the middle of nowhere um completely unprepared for what you're venturing out to yeah and that's what i was telling drew like what makes you exit a car to go out into the snow and below freezing temperatures i mean when yeah. they found the car they were able to hotwire it 
and there was about a quarter of a tank of gas. They did get the car stuck on a snowy road, middle nowhere in the Plumas, but all they had to do was just, you know, push the car out. Yeah. I'm a Midwesterner, so I'm used to snow and your car getting stuck in the snow and pushing other people out. I mean, so it's, it's a way of life. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar they would be with pushing a car out of the snow, but still, I mean, if they got stuck in the car, it, it, it's a bit, you know, of a situation. Well, it's, it's a situation where it's like, okay, do we wait it out? Do we? Right. That's that's kind of what you were paying something in my head just then, because it's like uh, this case is often compared to Dyatlov Pass in, right. in the sense that both groups of people, and we we kept hammering this point when I talked to Drew in October. Both groups of people were uh, there was an unknown compelling force that was mm-hmm. the, something drove them to flee from their exactly. confines, either the tent in Russia or the car yep. in, in Yuba County. Something because if 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 someone was like, we got to go get help. Okay, I didn't know these guys. We don't know. I mean, maybe the family would agree with me in this sense. I can't imagine all five would leave to go. Like I would think, like maybe two of them would go. Hey, we're gonna go and look for help. Stay yeah. here. Like I don't see why all five would go and look for help. So the the idea yeah. of that kind of thing, like something made all five of them get get the hell out of there for some reason. Yeah, and if you go, if you drive up that way, uh, it's it's an area in the Plumas, past uh, or near a place called Rogers Cow Camp. Once you go up there, it's like, oh, this is kind of no man's land. Like it's 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 like a point of no return. Yeah. And if you drive up that way, you'll pass places you could stop at someone's house. And I mean, there are homes up there. And there's there was a fire station up there. There was a place called Mountain House, which was sort of like a gathering place slash lodge slash bar slash whatever. Yeah. But here they are in the middle of nowhere. Here's the interesting part. While their car is abandoned on that road, there's another car on the road. And that same road, a guy by the name of Joseph Shones had been stuck up there for anywhere between four to six hours. His VW Beetle gets stuck up there. He tries to get out, push the car out of the snow, has a heart attack, gets back in the car. And meeting Drew... I, I don't know if I would have ever found this immediately or stumbled across it. One of the things Drew told me early on is, you know what kind of car he was in? I'm like, yeah, VW Beetle. My dad had one back in the day, yeah. you know, in the Midwest. Uh, he's like, Do you, that's not a mountain car, is it? And I'm like, no. He's like, were you ever in it in the winter? I'm like, yeah, I was a little kid. I don't really remember. He says, that's an air-cooled engine. He's like, that car needs to be in motion for the heat to work properly. So if he's running that car, like he says he is, to stay warm, how's he staying warm? And we have a lot of questions about Shones because he sees the guys and he says – He's the the compelling, bizarre sixth character in the book. Yeah. He's the really – he's the wild card that gets thrown into – It's like if he already – if, if he hadn't come, if he didn't exist in the story, mm-hmm. he would still be wildly bizarre and strange. Right. But he adds in all kinds of extra spices, <laughs> spices of strangeness to the story where yeah, I, I can't wrap my mind around this guy because as, as you were telling his account of what happened, it was like, I want to interrupt you and almost just go, so the story goes. Because this is his account yeah. of what he experienced up there. And as we find out more about him, he's pretty much a fairly unsavory character. 
that's yeah he, he's an unusual dude i mean so shones is up there he lives in berry creek which is probably like a 15 20 minute drive south of where he was so he did stop at the place called mountain house to have a few beers and the lady that was serving him beers watched him drive north instead of south yeah when she saw him driving north she's like why is he going that way i mean that's middle of nowhere he's gonna get his car stuck like that what is right. he doing so that's probably like 6 p.m on the 24th and he gets stuck he tries pushing his car out has a heart attack um claims around 11 to 11 p.m to 12 a.m the guys pull up the road but there's a pickup truck behind him now if you follow all the stories he gives to the press so he talks to more than one newspaper he'll say you know the car pulled up there was a pickup truck behind it how many occupants in the pickup truck kind of flip-flops and you take plus or minus so many people but basically there was a guy and a woman with a baby and then there was this um you know incident where he could see them a distance away but then they walked up towards his car because he heard all these whistling noises and then there was like um you know all this stuff was happening and it's like he claims like they because he got out of his according to shones he got out of his car he started asking for help because he's like help i'm having a heart attack and they all ignored him and right, right. ran into the woods like who does that and yeah so, his story adds a lot of de has a lot of details but the details are incredibly vague so yeah like hard to they're like wait a minute what you think you saw a pickup truck you don't know exactly how many people were there you're not sure what they were doing it's like yeah it's really maddening. Um, and then he walks from yes, the car yeah, yeah. to Mountain House. So that took him, you know, with his heart attack, he said, I don't, oh God. So he's up there till like midnight and then he's there till about 3, 4 a.m. And he starts walking to Mountain House. He gets there at 8 a.m. So this guy's been up in the Plumas in the freezing cold weather for probably what 12 13 hours no hypothermia yeah, as, yeah no uh, real effects from that you know and he walks the in, alleged heart attack that, yeah. yeah he <laughs> walks in and asks for aspirin and a glass of water i mean if you got if you're having a heart attack you got a first thing out of your mouth is like hey i need some aspirin and a water and people <laughs> yeah, feel like, yeah, yeah. wait what's, what's that man you know and right he he basically says oh i should have done this two years ago that's the and that's it, thank you that's in, that's the that's one of the big ones in the notes because we kind of left yeah. on the last episode when we talked with Drew about this that was sort of like this big cliffhanger where Drew like yeah so Tony Wright's coming out with a book and he has uncovered this lot this thing that Sean said that two witnesses at the bar the next morning heard Sean say which is I should have done this two years ago yeah what you, like what like do you what? think do you have any theory on what that might mean i thought you made an interesting point in the book really interesting point in that uh and again folks this is the super detailed stuff the person who found shown's car up there or someone who was helping to move shown's car with the wife or someone who was around shown's car the following day noticed a lot of feces a lot of yeah. a lot of uh animal feces. look i think they said it looked like a lot of dog poop which you you can yeah. speculate speculate maybe he if he's totally innocent in the yuba county case itself maybe he was like 
doing something nefarious with a dog, like releasing it yeah. out into the wild or, or like getting rid of a neighbor's dog that he didn't like. Yeah. I say he's an unsavory character, folks. This is totally within the realm of possibility. But you, you it, put that out there as an interesting idea of like, what yeah. could this guy, what could, what he could he mean by I should have done this two years ago? See, that's what we're trying to figure out because, okay, so the day before, the 24th when he's at Mountain House and he's drinking beer there, he's talking to the lady who's serving him about dogs and dogs who bite people. And then he takes off and then he comes in the next day, you know, pretty worse for wear, but he doesn't say, Hey, I had a heart attack. Get me to a hospital. Right. He's just like, I should have done this two years ago. So what it should he done two years ago? Like yeah. get his heart yeah. checked, get <laughs> yeah, rid of this yeah, dog. Right, right. Like, get 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 his life on track for better health uh was could have been something related to the because he doesn't even mention like oh hey there are these whole bunch of people showed up too and right, they disappear right. into the woods and this is really creepy well he saw the other car when yeah. he left so he didn't mention oh hey there's another car up there with my car like, yeah he walks right by it yeah and and with the press he'll say i looked in the car i got in the car uh, there were baby clothes in the car, which there weren't. Uh, the car reminded him of a child, which I don't know how, because when, the, <laughs> yeah. when law enforcement looks in the car, they see the stuff from Bears Market, which is the place they went to after the game. And there's like a newspaper and like a, a book from a program from the basketball game. And one of the maps are out, but it's like shown's were you in the car or not, buddy? And you know, his stories aren't straight, but yeah, I mean, he's this guy who sees him and then that's just a huge question mark right there. And well, then it's you've really got, maddening it's weird. In a sense. It's maddening in a sense because as you, as you uh, say throughout the book, like you had access to these police files. So you looked at this thing from a perspective that almost nobody has had a chance to, uh, except for a few folks in the research community. Um Yeah. It's maddening in a sense because, like, I don't know. We're looking at it now, we're caught, we're, and it feels like the police kind of were thinking the same thing. But it doesn't feel like they they really pressed this Shones character hard enough or far mm -hmm. enough, really, to get into it. Because, like, you and I have a have a million questions for this guy. <laughs> like, yeah, because like, why he... why did not the authorities also? And you mentioned in the book, I think it's come out in general that like they would try to interview him. And he was like, oh, well, I, I, my heart, I can't take any more talk about this this hard, wild night. And then later, the cops want to give him a polygraph test. And I don't know if it was the lawyers or the lawyers in general got involved. They're like, well, if he dies from a heart attack, then we're, we're Yuba County Sheriff will get sued. And it's yeah. like, oh, come on, dude. Like, they were this, afraid this, of that. Know this guy even had a heart attack. But it yeah. is really maddening that they didn't press down on this Jones guy because I feel like I feel like he has to be connected somehow to this. Yeah, it's, it's it, to rule him out, you really got to clear him 100%. And what you see, so the first interview, he tells him, this is what happened. But then the second interview, he, he kind of expands upon that a little bit. And the second officer that interviews him notices that when he's talking about himself, when he's talking about his heart attack, He's very animated. He's really into the story. It's all about him. But when this officer's like, okay, I got some questions about the case, 
he's getting annoyed. He's kind of vague. He's, he's acting a little aloof at times. And there's a part in that second interview when this officer's like, Hey, come on, you know, answer some more questions for me about these guys. Shone takes, Shones is in the hospital for his heart attack during this interview. And he just lays back on the bed with like his hands behind his head. And he's like, man, I think you guys think I had something with these dudes disappearing or something like that. Yeah. And the officer's like, well, you know, (laughs) give us something. Yeah. Yeah, Were you? And, and after that, I mean, he Shones does have a time where he does meet with the family. We do have a tape of that meeting, but the, the audio quality is deteriorated over time. We can pick up on some things and he denies that he was drinking. Um, he makes it sound like the guys just kind of ran into the woods and the family members are there and they're kind of like, okay, your story is not making any sense to us. Yeah. And they're trying to press him and he's kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of here answering questions. Right. Um, so that meeting goes nowhere. And and that's the whole thing with Shones is that it just all went nowhere. Uh, they never followed up on him. They right. never. That's the thing. You'd think like, you'd think the cops would say, you know, they're like, oh, if he can't do this because he's suffering you know, why not bring him in a year later? Why not go to, you know, why not, why not contact him a couple of years later and be like, Hey man, we just got a few more follow-up, but we're still looking into this and, you know, see if he trips up or see if he says something else or yeah. whatever. But it's like, they just seem to cut him, cut him loose. And it's like, no, this guy is the linchpin to this case. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, it's kind of maddening. It's, it is very maddening. Cause I feel like he is such a critical part of this thing i mean it's bizarre yeah. that he put, puts himself well he, he somehow got stuck in mm-hmm. the situation so it's like if he was trying to do something nefarious to these dudes it like it, he slipped up because he also got stuck and then, and then it was like yeah why didn't uh you know what i had to come up with a whole story about what what i was doing up there so it's supremely yeah. weird and, and another thing is you're talking about the sheriff's department like why didn't they wait another year well, the guy who was sheriff at the time the guys went missing, he gets elected out of office, and okay, then yeah. he he has an under sheriff, and he's gone too. So I think you got like this changing of the guard oh, with the Yuba County right. Sheriff's Department. Sense. So yeah. I kind of wonder if that whole got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah, but I also think like within the department there were some guys who were probably of the opinion, ah, they got lost. We put a lot of time and money into this already. You know, it is what it is. I got you. Know, you. Yeah, yeah. What what are you gonna do? But I'm, right. I'm sure that there were other people within the department who were interviewing or investigating the case who probably thought, like, I don't know, man, there's probably more to this than we know. And not only was the Yuba County Sheriff's Department, like, the main group, but they had, like, Butte County helping them. They had Sutter County helping them. And eventually they had Plumas County helping them because Plumas County is where they found the trailer with Ted Weir in it. Yeah. And so that's, like, right, it's like right over the county line where they find um, the trailer and mm-hmm. Ted Weir in it. And then the other three, uh, when they had perished, they were probably like a mile or so away from the, tra- probably like one to three miles from the trailer. Right, right. So, and it's still in Plumas County. And you have to kind of wonder to yourself, like, what did these other departments know? What yeah, records do they keep? Cause yeah. you was the one that only has the records. And uh, I kind of like checked with Plumas County. I checked with Butte County. Even they brought in the state of California, like their investigators. And 
their records they're not sharing or talking or saying that they have anything. It's like, oh, I mean, if Yuma County's willing to share and you guys aren't, I mean, what do you have and what do you know? And, yeah, they might have some good nuggets in there that, that we, uh, like, yeah. the Shones, like the Shones quotes from the uh, Mountain House. Th- those came out of the police files, right? So it's like. Yes, absolutely. That's new information. Now, one, this is a completely arcane thing that I've been hooked on and I, I pitched this to Drew last night and he was like, that's interesting, but I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. So, so have you given any thought to the watches? Because the watches to me, they just, something's, something's not right. <laughs> Things aren't right with the watches to, to catch people up. Ted is found in the trailer with his personal possessions next to him and right. a, a watch of unknown origin. Right. No one knows whose watch this is. When they find uh, Jack Madruga, he is found grasping a watch. Mm -hmm. What is this? I feel like there's got to be some significance here with watches that I don't, I don't know, but have you, have you any, any thought to that? Did you ever kind of, did that ever click to you at all? But like, that's weird that he's holding a watch and there's a watch there. I know uh, when I talked to Shannon McGarvey and Drew, they said that Madruga was probably holding his watch because he was in the military and they probably use, there's a way you can use your watch to find your way or something like that. Um, So for like navigational purposes. Yeah. And then what I'm thinking, either one of the other guys had a watch and nobody, but no one knows who it is, but it, it, was that there before the guys got into the trailer? Right. My, from right, from right. what I learned, it was a relatively new trailer. The forestry service uses it. The, you know, some of the guys who would probably be working up there or doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, somebody could have left it behind. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I totally can see that this could be yeah. completely it, red herring. All these, a lot of these cases have these where it's like, well, what yeah. about the, but it's a good question though. Shoes? But yeah, yeah. But to me, it's like something's weird there. But if he's got a watch and there's a watch near Ted, did it come from someone or somewhere else? And was there another person up in the trailer with them? Yeah. Because you, you kind of have to think about all these things, especially how they got from the car to the trailer, because right. it's not a straight shot. It's a really crazy winding path. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't get to the trailer because when I was up there, 2021, 20, it was right after the forest fires. Uh, they had a couple years worth of that where trees were down and the roads were blocked. And it was a huge mess. But seeing those roads, it's like, uh, how the heck do you find that road? Yeah. How do you navigate it? How long are you out in the wilderness? Um, like I said, I'm from the Midwest. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I'm talking to Drew and it's negative six outside. Yeah, and I got to, yeah. like, get the mail or something or take my dog out. It's like, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. This, this is not my day. And, right. uh, but, you know, I'm out, you know, weather here is probably like, low 30s but still you go outside it's like oh man sometimes but uh, these guys who are not used to the snow not used to the cold i mean walking through snow and tennis shoes that's i mean that's never a good idea yeah yeah we got that slushy snow right now and you you walk through that you step that that wrong oh that's the worst so that's what these guys (laughs) are dealing with so they're walking like five miles like that i mean you're i mean hypothermia is kicked in very quickly and are you eating? And then we talked about Ted Weir, who got to the trailer, 
And they said he probably was in there for what? Uh, probably four to eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks. I mean, he's got to be getting water somehow. Are they melting snow? Is he eating snow? Uh, was there anything up there that he could drink? Um, cause you're not going to have like, you can't turn on the faucet and you got water. Um, cause it's much different within those trailers. So there's that. They, they didn't turn on the heat in the trailers, but the propane was probably buried under snow by the time they got there. So they didn't realize that yeah. they had the equipment or they're probably not too familiar with how that whole setup goes. There was a candle in there that someone had burned at one time. That's not going to give you any heat at all. Right. Um, I mean, they have now, special, they have special like survival candles, but it wasn't anything like that. Right. Uh, right. Um, like 1978, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is basic stuff, but I mean, well, one of the things I want to uh, hone in on too is, and you do a really good job of trying to get to the bottom of this in the book, but it's like, uh, I don't think I don't think they want you to ever really get to the bottom of this, which is like, how did they miss this trailer? It was only exactly. about twelve miles away. This seemed like a, a fairly exhaustive search. And reading exactly. the book, you've got to get an idea of like how intense the search was. It's like, how did you miss these trailers exactly. that were out there? And I, I guess I, I'm befuddled in a way, and you, I saw recently your interview with Drew, and I'm confused in a sense, too, about the, the snow cat, a, a snow cat, which is like a plow type thing, I guess, a right. wilderness plow, yeah. cut, a path, cut a path to the trailer, which is what they think they followed, but we don't know really anything about, like, the circumstances surrounding the, the, the snow cat weirdly cutting the path to the trailer the day before they went missing. Yeah. Um. It's that's the timing of that is very strange. We don't know who was driving the snow. Like we nope. don't really know who really sent out the order for someone to do it. So that's really mm. weird. Um, and the fact that and and again, okay, so they find the car. They didn't see the the, the snowcat path. That exactly. Presumably, these guys would have traveled down. So. I mean, I, I guess you, you don't really have any answers for this either, but to the best of your understanding, what went wrong here with this? So we we find out that there was a snowcat path plowed from this road up near Rogers Cow Camp to an area near like Granite Basin, Daniel Zink Campground. And my understanding, I talked to someone who worked with the U.S. Forestry Service. So they are lost in a u.s forest uh it's not a parks it's a u.s forest and the forestry service basically says in a situation like this we will hand over you know all power to law enforcement you're the ones doing the search and rescue you're the ones handling the investigation we'll just give you guidance according to the forestry service when they find the guys they claim, hey, we told them about this trailer because the families were like, okay, if this is five miles across the land, 12 miles away along a road, you claimed you did all this searching because you borrowed a helicopter from the state. You had all these guys on these search and rescue teams doing these like very meticulous searches and rest, you know, things that you're doing here, like scouring the land. Yeah. Um, how'd we miss this? And, the forestry service, like I said, said, you know, we told you 
it's a it was a trailer we showed it on a map to a guy he's like i'll show it to the sheriff the butte county sheriff's department and maybe the plumas county sheriff's department the yuba county sheriff's department were like no one told us about this trailer so if we didn't know about it we wouldn't have known to look there and the forestry service is like "Mm, we told you uh you're you're not uh you're forgetting or you got something lost in communications so if they claim to have had the chopper going around i mean like what where did it go and that that's another thing like we do not have a map showing like oh we looked here here and here right and then you have to follow it with the newspapers so you're thinking in some cases they went south of the car they went west of the car right and i think they went east of the car but they, I don't think they ever went north of the car because they right. probably thought, oh, why would they walk north? Mm-hmm. They're just going uphill. Yeah. And they keep going up, 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 up. So, you know, it makes common sense to walk down the hill. But I talked to someone who worked for the Forestry Service and who was up there at the time. And they said, you know, especially in the winter and you're walking around that area, you can kind of get turned around. And it's, it's kind of like Blair Witch Project where you just keep right. walking and it's like, Okay, where are we? Are, are we are we further away than what we were? And and he said it's very easy to get disoriented. I've talked to people who lived up there, and uh, heard a conversation with someone. They's like, yeah, sometimes in the winter we would just put stuff on the trees like cloth, just to mark our path, just to make sure like, oh yeah, that's the path back. Yeah, but but these guys weren't experienced outdoorsmen i mean they they've been up there before i mean they've been in that area before but they're not spending they're not snowshoeing or skiing up there doing anything like snowmobiling or anything like that um and to find that path and with the report of the snowcat no one from the forestry service was even interviewed by law enforcement and I, I tried to get information from the forestry service. They didn't, they said they didn't have anything kind of just. I would like to see, and I don't know if you have the means to do this uh, or if the, or the information really, but like, I would like to see a map with the, with the snow cat. Like I'd like to know where in relation to the car, this snow cat path was. Yeah. They like, said, yeah. You know, I'd like to see, I'd like to be able to look at a map and go, Oh, okay. So this was there, and you can see the the. But again, it's like even it couldn't have been that far for them to walk to find the path. So you would think that the search team would find the path. But it's they, right. they, that's the weirdest part to me too, where it's like it's not just <laughs> there's a trail, there's a literal yeah even road leading to where they are. So how uh, not necessarily a road, but a path, a a, a cut in a trail cut into. Yeah. The environment that should have been readily found. So that's super, super strange. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, like those four days they're missing, it really wasn't snowing. And, you know, had they found the trail that the snowcat trail probably would have been like, oh, maybe we could follow that because they said they found footprints <laughs> yeah, in the guys yeah. too. But then as soon as they find the guys, the weather just gets bananas again because now there's more snow. It starts to rain some days. Here's another thing. The guys never, you know, no one signals from the trailer. No right. one sets a fire. No one does anything to, you know, signal anything. Um, I mean, they wouldn't, I don't think they had access to flares or anything, but still, like, there's no, they had books they could have set on fire. They had, you know, 
Yeah, you use there, an example another, of the book of someone else that got lost in similar circumstances, and they started. Yeah. They were like, "I'm going to burn this cabin down," and then yeah, they find me. Like, yeah, there were these two guys up there. They, their fraternity had a party. They get they get left behind up in the Plumas. Uh, they get hopelessly lost during a snowstorm. They find an old abandoned place, and they just set that thing on fire, and everyone's like, hey, that place is on fire. What's going on over there? And they find the guys. Right. Um, yeah. But but they had them lo- uh, lost for maybe, what, three, four days. But these these guys are up there for months. Yeah, yeah. You and think we don't, desperation would set in at some point. You'd be like, you know what? Let's just – maybe we'll just start – let's just try that. Like, it's yeah. very – yeah, it's very – uh, the theory, I guess, bounced around by a lot of people is that they were afraid to draw a check. They were hiding yes. something or someone. That's sort of the idea. Like, whatever this unknown compelling force was that drove them from the car, they took refuge in this trailer. Mm-hmm. And then um, – well, I'm glad you pointed this out in the book because I this has always kind of confused me or or sort of uh, uh, I've wrapped my mind, tried to wrap my mind around. Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling, they're found like a few miles from mm-hmm. the – the uh the trailer and the it's it's sort of always the question of like i think a lot of people assume that they like fell behind and never made it to the trailer but part of me just thinks that they were that they maybe they were the first to go yeah out of the trailer i think uh, you you bring that up in the book and i was glad you did because to me it's like that that seems more likely that they that they perished on their way back trying to trying to get back to civilization that's what I thought too, because I uh, talking to people like Drew and just figuring out like their path, like walking up to the trailer. Like, I don't think they would leave each other behind. I think they would get right. to the trailer, and I think they got there. Maybe the first person to leave could have been Gary, because he probably realized I don't have my medication. Uh, I, you know, my schizophrenia medication I need to take, and we're, you know, we're we're in trouble. So let me go. Yeah. He doesn't come back. So Madruga and Sterling could have said, all right, we can walk back to the car. Let's do that. And then we think Ted and Jackie Hewitt are left, you know, by themselves. Mm-hmm. And when Ted Weir dies, uh, you know, it could have been like a moment for Jackie to like get out and leave and just see what help he could find. But, you know, through all of this, you know, it's five miles across the land, you know, northeast of the car and on a 12 mile winding road. Yeah. And, you know, some some family members were told, you know, that they were told like, ah, those guys wouldn't have made it due to their disability walking from the car to that trailer. A lot of people were survived or were surprised they survived that walk. And when they started talking to people about Ted surviving in the trailer, they're like, are you sure he lasted as long as he did? Because even the coroner was like, wait, are you sure? How long? He did Because he was clean shaven, but when he was found, he had a beard. Yeah. And they said, you know, due to the growth and due to this, this and that, we expected him to be up there maybe four to eight weeks. Right, right. And this really just puzzled a lot of people, like, how'd they do this? Uh, Did they walk? Did someone get them up that way somehow? Um, Were they marched that way? I mean, it's right. You know, someone with a gun may have just led them up there. And, you know, it's like all these theories. And one of the (laughs) invest, one of the guys that was investigating the case in 78 said, I got a thousand theories, but I can Mm -hmm. shoot holes through all of them. And 
if law enforcement's this puzzled, a guy like me, you know, armchair quarterback here, uh, deep diving the case as best as I can, looking through newspapers and finding anything, it's it's like all of these missing links are mm-hmm. just driving us crazy because we don't know why they got off the highway to begin with to get on right. this road to get up into the Plumas because it's not like they just took a wrong turn off the highway. They had to drive right, through a right. town called Oroville, cross a bridge, go up, you know, into the Plumas. And it's like there's yeah. all these places. Every, every step of the way, every step of the way in the story has all kinds of of questions attached to it and all kinds of theories. So it's like, you can have a million theories as to why they get off the highway. Okay. But then you get into the, then you get to the, where they're stranded. Now you have another hundred theories on why they abandoned the car. Okay. Then we go to the cabin and now we've got another hundred theories as to what went down with the cabin. So it's like, it is a, it's the mother load of mysteries in a way. It, It really is a mind bending case. Um, yeah, and you could have left the car running for 20 minutes with the heat on, turn it off, you know, sit there for right. an hour or so, turn it back on. Well, like on. we just said about the trailer, if if the theory is, okay, that Gary left first to go, then the other two went after him, and then ja- and then Jackie Hewitt was the last to try and leave, uh, yeah. and then Ted, okay, now reverse that logic to the car. So why wouldn't they have followed the same pattern, So you know, give or take, at the car? But yeah. no, all, all five of them leave. So it's like, okay, this doesn't add up. <laughs> this doesn't yeah. add up at all. And there's no. talk of Madruga's window being rolled down on the car. Uh, and that's something that his family said, like, whoa, he would not walk away from that car with a window down or the doors unlocked. And that's what happened. So yeah. for him to walk away from his pride and joy, which is that car. And also, if we get back to the car, how it got up that road, the road was rutted. It's not a paved road. He hated driving on those kinds of roads, and the undercarriage of his car is a okay. Um, and I, I've seen those roads up there in the Plumas, and you know, I I feel like I'm a good driver, but man, driving that through the snow, I mean, that's I mean, that's a careful drive up a road. Yeah. And all they had to do was just pull up to that road, pull back out, but they went up the road. Like what? Like yeah, either someone directed them there, or some something happened, and this has been driving. You know, families and law enforcement crazy since 1978. We're into the 46th year of this uh, case, so um, it's it's crazy. It's weird. I have a, I know we're we're heading towards the uh, towards the out, but uh, I got a few more little notes here. This one's I'm fine. This, this one's gonna drive me a little crazy. So sure, maybe you added a new mystery into the into the, into the mythos of the of the Yuba County Five in the part where you talk about the they're in contact with psychics. The mm-hmm. Psychic meets with the family. And at yes. one point, you're recounting the meeting, and you say, the psychic at one point is like, hey, can you turn the recorder off? Because there's something I want to say that I don't want recorded. Did right. you ever find out what that was? No, I didn't. That's a really good question. And uh, I, I, <clears throat> I, I, I've been trying to find that, and unfortunately, the people who were you know, at the meeting, at the meeting. Now, yeah. yeah, all the parents passed away, um, and if it's like, why are we turning uh, off? Like, why right. are we turning? Keep it on, you yeah. know, well, because like, I, I thought oh. the meetings were being kind of taped secretly, but 
Uh, yeah, it's like, what could she possibly have had to say that she didn't want them to? That's like, oh my god. Like, yeah, and oh. we we see some of the notes from the psychics, and they're kind of they're off on the location and what happened to him. Most of the psychics believe the guys yeah. had died elsewhere, and they just drove the car up to the Plumas to abandon it because um, some of them thought they had died in Chico. Um, unfortunately, that's not true. Right, right. It's not like the psychics were particularly spot on. Like there was, I kept waiting in the book for you to get to one psychic that might have got something right, but it was like actually none of them, none of them, seemingly were close at all. So it's, yeah, and I was surprised they brought in psychics so early because it was like March tenth. Yeah, and so the guys had disappeared on the twenty fourth, and that usually seems to be your last ditch effort. Do you think uh, that was a product of the time and the era, like nineteen seventies California? I, I think so. And, and talking to one of the investigators, uh, Jack Beecham, who was the undersheriff, he said he had gone to a convention and they had brought up psychics because you watch a show like Mindhunter, you kind of see like the way that investigations are kind of changing and how you're profiling people and yeah. uh, how, how you're developing these new techniques. So this was, yeah, you're probably right. It was probably a new thing. And they said, uh, sometimes we're, we're striking gold and other times I mean, a guy with a water witcher. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling everyone out, out, you know, we're getting everyone, we're throwing everything, but the kitchen sink in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had a water witcher, they had psychics. Um, they're getting tons of phone calls and letters from people claiming to see the men places like Sacramento Brownsville, which are all far south of the spot where they went missing, and it's a case of mistaken identity, or some of the stories are completely bogus. Uh, people are, you know, there's the Debbie Lynn Reese who's getting the phone calls about the case. Yes, she, yeah. She, she's back in the Marysville, Yuba City area. Um, all these things are happening while they're trying to look for the guys. Yeah, yeah. And it's just one thing after another, and there's all these, you know, a lot of these are just distractions. Right, they're, right. It's kind of a circus, yeah. Yeah, because they have to follow up on all these things and all these phone calls. There was even a student at USC down in L.A. who claimed to, you know, oh, I think I saw the guys on the bus driving around Los Angeles. Like, what are they doing in L.A.? Like, why Why would they have gone that far south? And some people think they right, were, like, right. yeah. sucked into a commune up there. <laughs> right, and, yeah, and, yeah. And it's like, what? The how? Moonies. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what, these guys just joined a cult, like, overnight? Like, yeah, I, I don't, out I don't of the think... blue with no suspicion from their family whatsoever? It's like, that's just so <laughs> weird of a theory. It's like, yeah, oh, and these, everyone was like, these guys were living comfortable. I mean, they were all living with their parents and their lives are pretty comfortable. It's like, hey, life's good. Like, why, why join the cult? Why? You right, know? right. Yeah, they're and having they, a good time. Yeah. Yeah, and they said with the cults, like, they would always make people, like, call home for money. So yeah. then these guys called home for money. Um, but yeah, it's all part of the case in, in the book, which, you know, I do my best to try to go over everything, but in the end, it's still frustrating that we just don't have information on this. And the point of the book is to hopefully jumpstart someone's memory and say, right, right. Hey, you might, you were around, you remember some things. There was a lot of scuttlebutt going on. What do you remember? Because when right. I was doing some research, there was a few people who came forward and said, some people know things, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want to get in trouble and they don't want to look like they're, you know, narcs or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, hey, come on. It's like 45 years. What are you holding on to and what are you afraid of? 
Right, right, exactly. Now, another interesting character in the book I want to ask you about is uh, is Robert Pennock. He's the basketball coach because he yeah. his his actions throughout this saga are also very strange because he he never shows right. up. It's funny because uh, the guys never show up for at, at the at the at the department store where all right. to be to get on the bus. He doesn't show up either, and yeah. then he just goes to the game, never contacts the police, never contacts the family after these guys go missing. It's all very, again, another loose thread that feels like it didn't get pulled on enough by the authorities. I mean, you you're, you pull on it in the book and try and. Kind of yeah. the, the weirdness of, of his actions in this story. Yeah, because, you know, the, they've got the Special Olympics basketball tournament. So the plan was to meet in Marysville in a Montgomery Ward department store. I think 8 a.m. We'll get in a van. We'll drive down to Sacramento. Well, the guys don't show up and the coach doesn't show up. So the guy that's sort of like the investigator goes to meet with the coach. And in the investigator's notes, he makes the coach seem uh nonchalant uh a little aloof uh, a bit you know suspect he's late for the game he doesn't have an explanation why he's late um he doesn't offer a good explanation according to the sheriff's department on why he never called the sheriff's department say hey how can i help what do you need from me yeah. what information can i get to you um so again it's a it's another situation like another road you can go down in this case and say like okay what was up with this guy and his actions to me i don't think he had anything to do with it he could have overslept he could have yeah been out partying the night before um or you know maybe yeah, he yeah. just didn't want to talk about what he was doing or who he was hanging out with right right exactly who, who yeah, knows yeah, he could have been yeah. married and hanging out with someone else so i don't know exactly yeah and been up to all kinds of stuff <clears throat> yeah and, and you know whatever shenanigans he had going on he just didn't you know right. uh t- tell the sheriff's department but yeah that was strange like he didn't Especially show up because the game it's like what a shitty coach like the game <laughs> meant the world to these guys and you yeah would think, you would think that he would like be like, okay, this is something's weird because this this game was really important to these guys. Um, yeah, it's a big so, tournament. Like, yeah, I'm concerned. I'm going to call the families or or contact the police or or you know or or become a participant in the search or whatever. You know, like that's that's kind of the weird. He just is like, no, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this. It's like, yeah, it's kind right, of yeah, it's kind of like uh, you know. It, it's like six, six one half a dozen another with this guy like he oh these guys are missing oh, what are you gonna do i mean that's yeah. the way the the report reads i mean you look at it you're like man come on dude that's that's cold-blooded i mean yeah yeah these guys are missing uh their parents are worried you knew them you're their coach i mean he basically said you know eh, you know ted's a good guy jack's pretty jack madruga's pretty quiet doesn't say anything about Jackie said Bill was probably the Bill Sterling was probably one of the smarter people of the group, but kind of lazy as a player. And then he says, Oh, Gary Mathias would have snapped any time. Um, but again, I mean, if that's all you're offering the case, that's not a lot. And so I'm like, come on, right, man. Right, like, right. I mean, there should, I, I mean, there could have been something else you could have shared with us, you know, in this investigation. I mean, even the family members never said anything about the coach getting in touch with them or saying anything. 
and you know this gateway place where they went i mean there was a series of arson attacks the executive directors right, right. murdered in a very bizarre firebombing incident um and they can't link those to their disappearance and they're like yeah it's not one and the same because there was a whole bunch of arson there's no arson here um but then again can you rule out what was going on at gateway I mean, that's strange that someone wants to firebomb a place for people with disabilities who are trying to, you know, learn job skills. Um, and then the director yeah, gets yeah. murdered. Like, this is some, this is some I also found it very stuff. strange that the basketball coach was a victim of the fire of the. Yeah. Uh, one of his cars uh, got set on fire. Yeah. The weirdo, the firebug freak. Which yeah. Fantastic and, name for a serial arsonist. Yeah. And, and the coach, <laughs> well, you never really talked to me about the, you know, our director getting killed. And I, I'm thinking they would probably be like, yeah, that happened in another county. Yeah. Uh, what were we supposed to do? Like, we, we've right, got a whole right. other case here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the situation happened, you know, with the arsons and the murder, like maybe three, four years before. So a lot of this is, uh, you know, I, I can understand there's some bad blood here between, you know, Gateway and the cops, but. <clears throat> it, it's it's just another yeah. avenue to go down. It's like it's like Joseph, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like Joseph Shones. Like you could keep following that guy and come up with right, all these theories, right. and you could do the same with the basketball coach. But at the end of the day, like man, we're missing so many clues mm-hmm. on what the heck's going on with these guys and why they went missing, right? And how they got up into the plumas. Um, and, and like I said, the book doesn't you know wrap everything up neat tidy in a bow but it gives you enough information where you can be like okay well maybe this happened maybe that happened yeah and, I think and it, it's, it's a good way to get the discussion going that's what we mm-hmm. really want absolutely and i think the book does a fantastic job of letting the reader sort of weigh each of these different possibilities yeah. uh based on the evidence and it's like i mean i was already of this opinion having done my own research into it before yours your stuff solidified sort of my take on this where it's like you can, the, 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 they, the, the, they were incapable of making the trip and got lost theory is like the lowest possibility. It's like, come on, that's, that's ridiculous. And, and you do yeah. a good job of knocking down the, the other theory, the Gary Mathias is the cause of all this snapped kind of yeah. thing. It uh, facilitated or precipitated this event. Um, right. You really do, do a good job of knocking down this theory that so many people quickly go to the uninformed, the folks who just hear the story, yeah. uh, you know, on Reddit or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's it. You just snap. Mystery solved. It's like, bro, you don't even know. You don't yeah, even I know. Mean, if, if he was having like, if he was going through psychosis or something like that, I mean, that's not something that just pops out like, oh, I'm just, you know, out of nowhere. Like it's this, it's gradual. It's you, you kind of right, right. you see this coming, and it's either you know you take care of it or you don't. With Gary, no one remembers him from the basketball game. No one was like, "Hey, there's this dude at the game." Yeah, yeah. I don't know what his deal was, but uh, something was yeah. up with him. Nobody says that. Not one person. The lady that was working at the convenience store where they came in and bought a whole bunch of snacks. She's not. She didn't say, "Oh, hey, there was this one guy with him, and I don't know what his deal was, but something's yeah, yeah. going on." No, well, my, favorite never part, my favorite one of my favorite parts of the book is that you, uh, I think you quote uh, Ted Weir's nephew, and he's like, "If Gary Mathias tried to cause a problem, 
my uncle would, would have salt would have straightened it out real quick. Yeah, Ted I mean, was like a gentle giant, and he yeah. and he hit that it was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like there's four there's four other dudes. If this guy started losing his mind or whatever, it's like yeah, yeah. They and Bill Sterling had a had a sort of a a, a bit of a, a rough streak or whatever sort of in his past, where he would have probably. Yeah. You know, these guys wouldn't have been pushed around. It's like, yeah. especially the within their group. They could have been pushed around is, is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, if someone's acting an idiot in your car, yeah, I mean, you can just pull over and say, look, you can walk home. I can put you in front of a payphone. Someone could come pick yeah. you up because I am not dealing with this anymore. Right. See you later, alligator. I am hitting the road. And and that's what could have happened with Matthias. Like, hey, bud, you're out of here. Like, see right. you later. Thanks for coming. Uh and, and and that's a possibility. But at the same time, like when I talk to people about the case and all they, they hear about Gary, they're like, oh, well, the schizophrenic did it. It's like yeah. just because he's schizophrenic doesn't mean he's like plotting the demise of the world and right. the deaths of exactly. people like every single day. And that's like yeah. on his mind. It's like this guy's on medication. He's taking care of his life. I mean, his life's not going to be perfect, but it's on the right track. And that's what. Yeah. Because we examine like Gary's life, like you know, in his early twenties when he's not medicated for schizophrenia, and when he's medicated for schizophrenia, it seems like it's night and day, and he's doing all right. Um, and like you said, you, you could kick the guy out of the car, and people would be like, "Well, the guys didn't like having Gary around. If they didn't like having Gary around, why they take him to a game? Yeah, um, or agree to take him? They could have been like, ah, uh, nah, but they had him along, and they." They did things together as a group and they had been the Chico before. And you could say, well, it was dark out. Well, that doesn't matter. I mean, Madrugo left Marysville when it was pretty much the sun had set. Yeah. Um, so he was driving in the dark. He was used to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. They made a trip in the dark, you know, to and from Sacramento the day before. They were perfectly fine. So they don't have this thing of getting lost. Uh, Gary wasn't having some huge mental meltdown. Uh, right, right. Something happened that night where all of them ran into, they ran into someone and something happened. Well, you raised an interesting point in the book uh, that I had never considered, and that was that you put forward a possibility that I had never thought of, where you say they could have just gotten off the highway and used the restroom, because part of the yeah. idea is like, okay, how... At what point did they encounter this thing, this this yeah. compelling force? And it's like, well, I find it hard to believe it was at the game. It's right. like who would pursue them all the way 70 miles away up into the mountains? So it's like you, you say, oh, maybe they got off for some reason off the highway, use the restroom, get snacks, whatever. Even yeah. though they already had snacks, who knows? You know, that's kind of one of those things that probably has a really simple explanation, like someone has to use the bathroom. And then that, you know, that set off the chain of events that led to this whole story. Yeah, and that's that, that's a good question. Like, because in order to take the road to get to the Plumas, you have to exit the highway. So if you're exiting the highway, what's going to get you off the road? Do you want right. to stop somewhere, use the restroom? Did someone want to get something else to eat? Maybe they didn't mm -hmm. like the junk food at the place and you have to think about, was there a burger place open? Was there a gas station open? And if they pulled off the road, did they run into someone they knew or maybe just ran into a bunch of drunk people who were trying to start stuff? And then 
they tried to get away from the drunk, crazy people or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you can run, you run into characters anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, Friday night. They could have run into Joseph Jones, right? Like, that was yeah, close that, to where he was from. I mean, yeah, and they, we've thought about that. Like, could Jones have found a way to get into Oroville and try to trick these guys and help him get his car? And did something go wrong there? Yeah. Did they run into someone else? And I, I mean, yeah, yes, it's, it's it, it. Well, to move towards the towards the conclusion, if you will, yeah, is, is, is was there anything? And I know you don't have the records of the other police departments or sheriff's departments, but in this day and age, one of the heartbreaking, troubling, maddening, again, this case maddening is the big word for me on this one. Yeah. It just drives me nuts thinking about the different elements of the case. It was, is there the thing that came along before, like, if this happened in 2044, let's put it this way, they would have people in that cabin who would be looking for all kinds of uh, forensic yep. information. Was there any sort of forensic study of the cabin when it went down? Or was this old school sheriff work where they were like, all right, here's the stuff. And, and, <laughs> and to pick yeah. back onto that, was there anything physical beyond obviously the bodies of the, of, of Ted? Was there anything physical removed from the cabin that might still be in possession of the authorities today? Today, um, I know that what they have left are the maps that they had in the car. Yeah. Um, but after they found the trailer, they took some of the cans, like the sea rations, and sent them to a state lab to get latent fingerprints off of them. Oh, interesting. Nothing, they said. Huh. So they either couldn't get prints off the tin cans. They may have taken some other items from the trailer down to yeah. the lab to get latent prints, but that's all they could get. I mean, right, that, right. that that was the thing at the time. It was just yeah. fingerprints. What fingerprints right. can we find? But... Could they got fingerprints on the doors, on the windows? Did they do anything like that? And I think the plus inter- the car, like like in this yeah. day, like if they if they had, do we know they what tried. the car? Like uh, again, yeah, but I know but they didn't know about DNA, so it's like if they had the car now, they'd be they might have been able to like pick up some kind of stuff. I don't. Know. I think that got. I, I for some reason, I want to say I think that car got scrapped at some point. Yeah. Um. And when they scrapped that car, it could have been like a month or a year later, because yeah. I don't know how long they held on to that thing. I'm sure they, they picked it clean they, anyway to look for anything. Yeah, they, but, they, yeah. they tried getting prints, and I think it may have tied back to maybe Madruga and Matthias, because I don't know if the other guys had their fingerprints on file. Yeah. Um, because Madruga and Matthias are both in the military. I don't know if they had – but Matthias did sure, have yeah. – criminal history. I don't know if Madruga had to have his fingerprints for the military. Um, so they they were just left with really nothing. All they could look for was fingerprints. Yeah. And I don't know what extent of fingerprinting they did, but yeah. one of the family members said people were walking through the trailer left and right, right after right. they found Ted. So in their opinion, it was like, well, you this, this crime scene's... Or, yeah, this is a crime scene. I mean, it is contaminated. So whatever clues they found, like all these people kind of walking through the trailer, what did that mess up and what are they missing? And did they not, you know, did they lose a clue or something like that? Or right, something right, valuable? Because right. that yeah, was yeah, frustrating to them. There's the thought, I think it was that there were notes written by Gary Mathias in the trailer, yes. but it's like, we don't know. 
I think it was just his sister that saw them and yes. we don't says she gave them to someone. And then it's like, well, where are those now? Exactly. Um, those are know, probably I, long gone. And I think it was uh, Jackie Hewitt's dad. Uh, 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 Hewitt Sr. Uh, found um, bullet casings yes. somewhere around the car. And it's like, okay, well, what became of those? We don't know necessarily anything about that either. So yeah. two key pieces of evidence that could really, really add some insight. It's like, what, what do those notes say if Gary Mathias like That might have been... I suppose if the sister found them, she and they said anything revelatory, we would know. But it's like, yeah, I, I mean, in her memory, she saw, you know, notes written by Gary. There's nothing in the report about it. Shell casings were never reported. I mean, um, that was found near the car. I mean, they did find like shotgun shells somewhere, but they thought that they were found a distance away from the car. And being a national forest, you are allowed to hunt in a national forest. Right. So hunting was pretty common in the area. Uh, they probably just thought, well, you know, this could be a spent cartridge from a shotgun shell and there could have been a hunter up here at one point. We can't really determine the, I mean, they couldn't, yeah. have, you know, I don't think they were yeah, like they getting really any DNA or anything off of that. Like you're yeah. saying, I think it's just old school policing. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're right. Things would be different today. Like that car would be, I mean, meticulously. Uh, examined for like DNA, fibers, anything you could find. Hair, so, hairs. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah anything yeah. like that. But at the time, they had what they had, and they did what they yeah. did. And yeah, um, at it's the okay. end of the day, yeah. we're we're still left with like why, and like yeah. I said, anything yeah. like people can come up with, like any theories they can help out with, or any information that they can add to what we've already built as far as you know, Yuba County Five Research, we appreciate any help, any thoughts, any leads. Um, maybe there's something we've never thought about and someone comes out and says, hey, what about blah, blah, blah. Right. And I think that's a good good thing with this book is get the word out about the case, get the, you know, get to know who the five were, their families, what they went through, what the case was like, what the investigation was like, what clues we have, what information we have. Um and then just go from there. Cause you know, if you want to, you know, the more people we have in on this sort of hive mind, I guess you will. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of the, all, any bit of information. Cause I know some people have sent me information after the case or asked me questions after the case. I'm like, these are all good questions yeah. and they're not in the case files. And it's, it's every bit as frustrating to you as it is to me, as it is to the families. So um, I'm just happy the book's out and people have a chance to get it. Like I said, at Amazon or Genius Publishing or Barnes and Noble, wherever you want to look for it, it's out there and it's available. Absolutely. Yeah. Now have you, the last question is sort of like what's next for you, but uh, I joked with another guest recently. <laughs> they just put out a book. You're, ta you're just talking about the book. You probably haven't, haven't given much thought to what you're, what you might want to do next, but sort of what, I guess raising awareness really about the Yuba County five case is kind of what you're doing next now. Is Yeah. That's the thing, right? Right. Case. Yeah. Right now it's, you know, promoting the book and talking about the case and um, getting the word out to people who are familiar with the you know, case, but not familiar with the book and just getting it out there. And I am working on another case right now. Uh, it's in the early, early stages and can't say much about it, but um working with someone who has ties to the case and yeah. 
Um, so it's, it, it's, I mean, once we can get the ball rolling more and get some more information and keep it going, I, I think we'll be able to say more about that. But right now I kind of want to keep privacy for a certain individual and, mm-hmm. and the case that we're tied to with that. But there is something else coming eventually. Who knows how long it'll take? Like this book took four years. Hopefully, uh, this next project takes much less, uh, because I know more about what to do and I'm not going to get knocked down by uh, the craziness yeah. of the world. Yeah, <laughs> pandemic yeah. and everything, good grief. Man, yeah. I tell you what, but it, it, it's great that it says it is out there. So, Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and maybe perhaps one positive byproduct from the book is that maybe this will put the pressure on the other uh, departments to release their files. If they've like, got anything to I, share I, I something. I feel like, yeah. And I do feel, do you feel, as I send you off into the night, uh, Tony? Yes. Do you feel that this case can be solved at this point? Do you feel like we could possibly ever? Because I feel like I feel like there's still one more twist coming. I feel like yeah. there's still like Gary Mathias is going to turn up somewhere, or <laughs> or someone yeah. like a deathbed confession from someone who's going to be like you know. But I feel like there's still one more twist to come in this case because it just just something in my bones just kind of. It's like, I feel like I'm going to wake up one day and go, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking insane, it's the death. Bro. I'm thinking it's the deathbed confession. I think it's the last minute. I, I, I truly believe someone knows something and they're not sharing it. And for whatever yeah. reason, I mean, all I want to say is like you know, what the family's been through for 46 years and whatever you're worried about. I, I think what you're worried about is far less. Right. Uh, than what the families are going through. And if their parents couldn't have had uh, any kind of closure, at least give it to the siblings, nieces and nephews and other family members, because that means probably everything to them and to have that information. And and to me, like it's, it's just been the one thing that I've felt since the beginning, somebody's got like that information. Yeah. They've got the deathbed confession type thing. Um, and you know what? It's, you know, we're close to 50, we're getting closer to 50 years from this case. And every as the case goes on, it's like, you know, how long do you need to hold on to this information? Because yes. I feel like someone's holding back, someone knows something, and the truth is going to get out there. Um, I'm hoping it's, it's soon, and this book helps push that. Mm-hmm. And once we get it, I think we're going to be in a very good place, like knowing what happened is like the yeah. ultimate goal of this book. Yeah, exactly. And I have a hope too. I said this to Drew last night. I have a, a serious hope that, as you said, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary. I hope that the momentum that's been built up since 2018, Yeah. you know, Drew's book, the Mopac podcast, your outstanding book. I think as we get to the 50th anniversary, I think it's going to have this Renaissance is going to fully mm-hmm. bloom into a national remembrance story that people are going to say and you're going to see it more like how has there not been a netflix special yet how has there not been a streamer hasn't picked up on this story yet i think it will happen in the next few years with the 50th anniversary coming up and if this catches even more fire i think that maybe it'll jostle something loose that's the hope i hope so too and you know it's we've got programs like this where you're very interested in the case and you've talked to drew you've talked to me um, there's many other people out like you out there who are saying, 
I want to know more about this case. It's a great, it's a huge tragedy. It's a big yeah. mystery. Let's get it going. Let's talk about it. And well, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think within by the 50th anniversary, let's get the answer. I mean, it would be nice to get the answer out there. I'm hoping that something comes of this in a positive way where we know what happened February 24th, 1978, whatever has been yeah. buried all this time. It's finally unearthed and we've got the key information that we've yeah. been desperately waiting for. Absolutely. So with all that said, I, I have dragged another 25 <laughs> minutes out of you, Tony. I really do appreciate it. It's all um, good. We could talk all night, but, uh, I'll oh, yeah. Be, <laughs> I'll be merciful and let you get going. The book is Things Aren't Right, The Disappearance of the Yuba County Five. Tony Wright is, of course, the author. Uh, folks, you know how much I am enchanted by this case. I am spellbound by how strange it is. So many Ben All of America listeners are as well. So go and pick this up. As I said at the very start of the show, this is the book. This is the one you've been waiting for. Uh, I cannot praise you enough, Tony, for the work you put into this. Um, Thank you, Tim. Personalized it in a way that uh, not only with the families, but with yourself, that it was a journey yeah. that I felt like I was going on with you. And that was an awesome technique Thank you. that you used that <laughs> I really liked a lot. Um, and so, yeah, that's it. I, I could sing your praises all night, but I, I, as I said, I'll, I'll let you get going into the night. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking I need to drag you and Drew on for a special sometime. Like in anytime where we talk about this again, because uh, we're going to keep, we're going to stay on the Yuba case here on Banal all America because uh, we, I want to see it. I want to see it solved. I want to see, yeah. see where it goes. And the night with Drew would be great. And if, you know, if you had people with questions, they want to email them to you and email them in, we'll answer them to the best of oh, our abilities. Be and yeah. that, that's an awesome idea. I'm, I'm feeling that a hundred percent. Absolutely. All right, man. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You too. See you later. Thank you for everything. Take care.